Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My dad playing for the Knicks and then being the team's general manager during the 90s. When you are with the Knicks, you're a big deal in New York City. And for me, there was so much more meaning behind that than people could probably understand because my dad's the son of Holocaust survivors. He came to New York City as an immigrant who had never touched a basketball, didn't speak a word of English, lost his brother. And, you know, basketball kind of shined its light on him and our family when, when we needed it. And so there was just added meaning there. Every artist has his or her own creative process to help them hone their craft and execute their vision. But nothing throws a wrench in a routine quite like having a baby. How do creatives adjust to still find that time and energy needed to dedicate to their work? How has becoming a father impacted their creative process and the material they create? My name is Tyler Gilden. I'm a writer, producer, director, and now podcast host. But most importantly, I'm a father of two adorable but exhausting little rascals, a two-year-old boy and a one-year-old girl. Yep, they're 367 days apart. And oh yeah, we're all living in my parents' house since COVID. Hopefully, each week my guests can help me and possibly some of my listeners with some much-needed guidance from their experience in juggling parenthood and being a creative. This is Father Material. Today's episode is one I'm very excited about. I'm talking to Dan Grunfeld, author of the book, By the Grace of the Game, The Holocaust, A Basketball Legacy, and an Unprecedented American Dream. Dan is the son of Ernie Grunfeld, former NBA player and general manager, as well as two-time Olympic gold medalist, and the only known NBA player was a direct descendant of Holocaust survivors. Dan himself, who was also a professional basketball player, does such a beautiful job telling his family's story. Dan is the father of one with another on the way, and I really, honestly, tremendously enjoyed this book. There was many parallels to my own documentary I produced on my grandfather's story, The Starfish, and it was really just fantastic to read and to talk with him. I'm really excited to share this conversation, so let's just jump right into it. Thanks for, for hopping on. I absolutely love this book. I really do. I really think it's, it's an important time for a book like this, in my opinion. You know, we're living in this very odd and somewhat scary time of Holocaust educations coming into question. Books are being pulled. And I, and I truly feel like your book is, is a book that should be in the classroom. Thank you. Because it's more than just about the Holocaust. There's a, you know, a whole story outside of it and, and the circumstances surrounding them. And you know, more people can relate to basketball and competing in the U.S. and fitting in. So there's just so many elements of the story that I really think uh, would do really well in the classroom. So I just wanted to commend you on, on really a fantastic book. Thank you, man. It means a lot. And that's my hope is that younger people will engage with the story. And I was like, there's a rapper of basketball. And as you know, there are fun things, there are funny things, inspirational things, but then there is some important history as well. So yeah, that's my hope is that as time goes on, more people get exposed to the story, 
students, younger folks will, will read it. So for me, as someone who did a documentary on the Holocaust and, and think these stories are so important as a, you know, a, a third generation survivor like yourself, you know, yeah, it, it really was impactful. And, and I do think that this will play a role in classes. Even my documentary recently, mm-hmm. a, a class of eighth graders uh, watched the film in class and they actually all wrote me really nice letters of things that they learned from it and it was amazing seeing from the lens of an eighth grader like what they took away that's that's the hope that's the goal it's very cool that your story is being spread in classrooms isn't it rewarding when people reach out to you and it, it makes an impact in certain ways and so that's that's awesome man i'm happy that your story is getting spread around like that and i hope mine kind of follows the same track Oh, for sure. I mean, anybody who likes my film, I'm going to tell them they have to read your book. Like I've already like, you have no idea how many people I've already reached out, all my friends. And it's one of those books where like, get it for your dad too. Like I told a lot of my friends like, Hey, like your dad would love this book also. Speaking of dads and this being a, you know, a dad podcast. And I know you're a dad because you mentioned at the end of the book, telling uh, your grandmother who you refer to as Anu, which is mother on you, which is mother in Hungarian, correct? That's right. Right. So I know you told her and how special that was, but I'm not sure where that was in terms of how long ago that was. So I guess how many kids do you have? What ages are there? Where are you at in dad life right now? Yeah. So as you know, my book, so my, the end of my book, kind of my, we're, we're pregnant, you know, give birth to my son and we name our son Solomon, which is my, the name of my great grandfather who was killed in Auschwitz. That's my grandmother's father. And so that's kind of like the, the family thread being tied through. And so my son was born in April of 2019. So he'll be three this April and in early April, and he'll welcome a baby brother in early April as well. Oh, great. So, so you're expecting right now. That's right. Yep. All right. Well, congratulations. Thank you. All right. So what is, what is that like having sons? I guess, you know, uh, <laughs> considering the, you being, you know, really growing up in the footsteps of your father and, you know, your father, there were also two sons there, his brother right. who unfortunately passed, I guess, what does that feel like to be continuing this, uh, I guess, trajectory of some more sons? Listen, being a parent is the best thing in the world and you just want happy, healthy kids. And so, you know, I, whatever, when we found out we were having our first child as a boy, you couldn't have imagined it any other way. You know, like it's just right. Whatever it is, it's right. And same for the second one. You know, I always thought, oh, I'd love a girl. I'd love to have one of each. But then you hear you're having a baby boy, another boy, and it's the best thing in the world, you know? So we only have one now. So I can't tell you what it's like to have to, but uh, to, to think about having to, it, it's super special. You know, we're already talking to the belly with our son and saying, this is your baby brother. He's your best friend. You're going to teach him, you know? And so, and he's into it. And then sometimes he's not into it. You know, obviously there's going to, there's a transition that's going to happen. And there's going to be some difficulties too, but it, you know what it is, man. Being a father, there's nothing better. So what was your son's birth process like comparative to yours? Because yours was very interesting. You had your dad was on the road playing for the Knicks at the time. And you kind of had to schedule, uh, you know, your your delivery around that. So tell us a little bit about that for anyone who hasn't you know, read the book. And I guess how it compared to to, with your son. It's very apropos of my story because I was born around basketball and Judaism. Right. So like my dad was a player for the Knicks. I was delivered by C-section. So my parents scheduled my birth in between two long road trips. So my dad went on a road trip. He was there for my birth. He went on another road trip and he was there for my bris. So that's kind of how I came into the world. And actually for really diehard Knicks fans, that first road trip he went on was to Texas. And it was the road trip where his teammate Bernard King had 50 points on back-to-back nights, which is like a very famous event that happened. I didn't realize that that was a week before I was born until I did the research for the book. You know, I was kind of trying to get a sense like, oh, what was my dad doing at the time I was born? I was like, oh, it was that trip, you know? So that was just something I uncovered. But 
Yeah, my son's birth was different. And, you know, you don't know what to expect to becoming a father, right? It took us, you know, we, it took us time to get pregnant. You know, we had difficulties there, finally got pregnant, such a blessing, so excited. We had a tough delivery where, you know, thank God everything was okay. But, you know, there was a little bit of an issue of getting him out and he had to go to the NICU. And so, you know, you imagine the birth of your child is just the, the happiest, most amazing moment, which it is. But in retrospect, it was very scary and difficult for us. So like, you know, you, you don't really know that until you go through it, that like, you know, having a kid can, can be challenging sometimes. And I know, uh, you know, from my, my, my sisters, you know, their, you know, their daughter came early, had to go to the NICU. And yeah, I mean, it could definitely be uh, scary, but I'm glad he, he's doing well. It all worked out well. Who, who catered the brisk? Because I think your brisk was catered by the <laughs> Carnegie Deli, right? It was, yeah. My brisk was, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. My, uh, my son's brisk was smaller because we were, you know, we were in the Bay Area and my family's on the East Coast. So it was a very small thing. I think we did get, we got some sort of like bagels from like a, a bagel spot nearby, but it wasn't like my bris, which I understand was very well stocked by the Carnegie Deli with, you know, corned beef and pastrami and pickles and the whole chopped liver and all of it. Uh, so what, but what was that like growing up with your father being who he was? You were growing up going to Madison Square Gardens, kind of like your playground. What, what was that like? First of all, it was awesome, right? I mean, it's, it's a fun way to grow up. We had so many great memories and experiences. My dad playing for the Knicks and then being the team general manager during the 90s, you know, just going to practices with him, going to playoff games. And just, and you know, we're talking about fatherhood, just having that bond. You know, we just always bonded around basketball, watching it, talking about it, playing it together, or, you know, him coming to my games. And so I'm lucky that I just have an amazing father. Like, he never pushed the game on me. He always gave me space to explore what I wanted to do, but what little boy doesn't want to be like his dad, you know what I mean? So we always, I always just kind of took, took to the game like he did. And yeah, really, really fun. When you are with the Knicks and he was the general manager of the team and they were really good, like you said, like you're a big deal in New York city. And for me, and you know, this from the book, there was so much more meaning behind that than people could probably understand because my dad's the son of Holocaust survivors. He came to New York City as an immigrant who had never touched a basketball, didn't speak a word of English, lost his brother. And, you know, basketball kind of shined its light on him and our family when, when we needed it. And so there was just added meaning there, you know. So for all those reasons, growing up the way I did in New York City with the Knicks and my dad was just amazing. But then you spoke about it in the book, which was interesting because I've never thought about this, but when he got fired and, you know, you don't really, you know, as I'm a, I'm a big sports fan and I've, I've called for many GMs and coaches heads, you know, that's just right. naturally as a Mets, Islanders, Jets, Knicks fans, I've had a lot of You've unsuccessful- had your opportunities, by the way. Exactly. I've had, I've had several unsuccessful yeah. general managers and coaches who I said, get them out of town. But, it, you know, I never really think of like, well, what's the impact on no, you know, those people, these individuals, kids, and you essentially right. just had, you know, Madison Square Garden was your home. You knew every security guard. You walked around and you basically, you know, you had the keys to the castle and they were taken from you. And what that felt like seeing your dad in newspapers and, you know, having writers reach out to you. I, I had never really thought about that. And now I'm almost like, well, maybe next time I'll be a little bit nicer when I'm calling for a GM or coach's head because it does trickle down. It does. And, you know, I'm very honest about this in the book, right? And then I mentioned all the good things, the cool things that come with growing up, how I did, but there is a cost to it as well. And there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of scrutiny. There are a lot of eyeballs. I think it brings a family closer because you really need to stick together. But yeah, it, there, it's difficult. And my dad was let go from the Knicks in 1999 with eight games left in the regular season. That team made the playoffs and made the NBA finals, you know, and on the backs of the, you know, the moves he made, the players he acquired, and but he was let go already. And 
it was devastating at the time. Like you said, I just grew up around the Knicks. And so there is a human element to it that it's hard to really understand unless you're in it. But that's how I grew up. And so I always try to keep that in mind. Listen, sports fans are passionate. That's what's fun about sports. People really care. You care enough to, you know, to want change, to want things to go well. And sports fans have the right to opinion, certainly. But I do think it's important just to think a little bit around, like, there are little kids, you know, involved in their livelihoods and things of that nature. Someone wants to see their father being blasted on, you know, on the papers or the news. And I think the media could be cruel sometimes. And that you forget that, like, yes, there's, there's, there's kids involved. There are families who have to be uprooted and moved. And granted, yes, you know, you're living a nice lifestyle, but it's still your dad and you still don't want to be hearing so much negative things. Yeah, that's right. And I'll tell you, you also learn a lot about like, how the world works, because when my dad was a GM of the Knicks, like they were really good and they were, he'd be on the cover of the New York Post wearing a crown, right? Because he's the king because he built a great team. But then they go on a six-game losing streak. A couple of guys get hurt, and a month later, he's wearing a clown nose. And you're like, oh, interesting. Like, that changed pretty quickly. So you kind of start to understand very early, like, none of it's true. You know, you do your best. You work as hard as you can. You be a good person. And you know from the book, that's how my dad carries himself. And part of it is his background, being an immigrant, the son of Holocaust survivors. He's about work really hard, treat people the right way, take the high road, and kind of let the results be what they are. But all that scrutiny, all that pressure, that criticism, it weighs on you and it's not the most pleasant thing. And your father seems like he's someone who handled himself very well, doesn't seem to be bitter about anything, chip on his shoulder, kind of just like went with it and just worked harder and found other opportunities really throughout his life was a hard worker. How much now being a father for, I guess, three years so far, how much of your father do you see in yourself or, or how do you find your approach to fatherhood may differ from his? Yeah, I see I learned a ton from him about being a father. And he'll, he said to me several times, like he's complimented me, said, you're a great father. And so I learned from the best. And, and I really mean that, like just the way my dad supported me, was there for me, cared for me, the things he taught me, you know, about, about hard work and the way you treat people. Like I try to impart those same values onto my son and, and be there and be as present for him as my dad was and still is for me. We're also different. We're different people. This is a different day and age. You know, it's, it's 30 years later. And so, of course, there are differences in the way we think. And, and you know, I'm definitely like reading a lot more literature about parenting than he did. So that's we'll talk about it. He'll, he'll tell me something. I'll say, I don't really recommend that anymore. And it's like, oh, like, I don't, you know, so it's just a, a little bit of a different day and age. But the core of how I want to treat my kids, raise my kids, care for them is, is what I learned from my dad and my mom. I want to talk about one of the fastest growing CBD companies in the U.S., Mindset Wellness. Mindset Wellness makes CBD products for specific moods or mindsets, so you can choose how you want to feel, whether that's happy, calm, focused, rested. I actually recently started to take the rest CBD gummies before bed, and it is a total game changer. As a creative and as a dad, my head is constantly spinning with all kinds of different thoughts every night the second my head hits the pillow from what idea I forgot to write down, what project I'm still in the middle of working on, if I forgot to throw out a diaper, or what mess I didn't clean up in the den that my wife's going to get mad at me about. There's just so much going through my mind. I don't understand how some people just close their eyes and go to sleep. I envy you. I used to listen to podcasts like this to help my mind rest so I could sleep, but lately, taking the rest CBD gummy, I found myself a lot less anxious before bed. Give it a try for yourself and choose your mindset. Go to mindsetwellness.com. Use code FATHERMATERIAL. That's one word, FATHERMATERIAL, for 20% off and free shipping. That's mindsetwellness.com, code FATHERMATERIAL. Choose your mindset today. 
to pivot from your dad a bit and, and talk about who I think is the hero of uh, of the book is 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 your grandmother, you know, Anya. 100%. Just, she's just, what a remarkable woman, what she's gone through. Is, is she still with us? 96 years old, lives in the Bay Area, doing amazing. She And, and you're 100% right. And my dad said this. We did an interview fairly recently, and he said, you know, I, I just played basketball. My son wrote a book, but my mother is a hero. And, and you oh, know, yeah. she is. She she not only saved her own life during the war, she saved others. You know, she risked her life to obtain false documents for other people. And yeah, she's she's just the best. I mean, FaceTimed with her, you know, an hour or two ago. She said, yeah, she's just doing amazing. How much is she enjoying being a great grandmother? The best. It's actually funny because we laugh about it. Because like I've always been, you know, my sister and I, we're like the apples of her eye. You know, we're her grandkids. She loves us so much. And then our kids are born. And when we FaceTime and it's, it's like my picture on, she says, where, where's the baby? You know? And of I said, I, after like 10 minutes, I say, Anya, do you want to say hello to me? And she starts laughing because I'm sorry. He's just so adorable. I needed to talk to him, you know? So uh, it, it's the best thing ever. I mean, he'll, and it's very cute because my son, because of technology, he's been able to FaceTime with her almost every day. And so he know, and we live close in the Bay area. So he spent time with her as well. So he knows her, he loves her. I mean, he brings tears to her eyes sometimes with just the things he says and how are you on you? I love you on you. It's the best thing ever. Technology is amazing. Cause so, so I have two kids. If I just take out a computer, they go, are we zooming with Nana? Like they just only associate <laughs> yeah. computers with zooming with like Nana and Papa. It's, it's amazing. So you're right. And, and it's the same thing. My, my grandparents, you know, I'm fortunate to have, you know, some of them around as well. Yeah. They, they don't care to see me. It's, it's, they just yeah. want to see, they just want to see my kids. Right. Right. To the kids. And particularly during COVID, right. Where like, you know, I live 25 minutes from my grandma, but we couldn't see her for quite some time. You know, that's so hard, but we, she has an iPad in her apartment that's hooked up to a FaceTime that we can see. And like, that was such a gift that, you know, we were able to see, see each other almost every day. And so, yeah, to your point, like technology, man, just makes such a huge difference. When did you start writing this book? And did you first have to ask permission from your grandma and your dad? Like, what was the process and what, what motivated you to finally say, like, I'm going to write this book? Or is this something you've always kind of had in the back of your mind that you wanted to do? So I've always loved to write. You know, when I came home from basketball practice, I would write stories and poems. And, you know, so I just love to storytell, love to write. As I, I retired from my professional basketball career, I went to business school and I finally had a little space to explore other options or other, you know, interests. And I, I remember talking to my wife, like, you know, I, I need to tell this story. This is big. You know, I, I always felt it. And, and then there came a point where I just said, now's the time. You know, and so I did a year and a half of research. So primarily interviews with my grandmother, my dad, family, friends all over the world, other sources. I didn't ask permission. I actually didn't tell anyone what I had in mind, except for my wife. I just, because I think that, and you read the book, you know, the level of detail and the depth there. I don't think I could have gotten there if there were expectations. I just told them, I, I want to memorialize our history. I have a couple of things in mind. So did the research, wrote my first draft. Took me eight months, woke up at 6.02 a.m. every day for eight months, got the first draft done, and then continued to iterate. And it wasn't until about three years after I started that research process that I told my dad, my grandma, and my family, like, I wrote a book. And they were surprised because we're very close. We tell each other everything. But so they were, so they were surprised, but ultimately gratitude. You know, they were very just appreciative that I memorialized this story. Um, and so it came out November 2021. So that was five years after I started. So that's how long it took, you know, front to back, like for the book to come out in the world. So it was a, a journey for sure. I mean, 
again, my, they're very proud of me. They're very grateful. It's been hard. It's, it's particularly hard for my dad because basketball, as you know, from the book, moved him away from a lot of difficult stuff. And now the book kind of takes, has, takes him back a little bit. So it's difficult, but it's a story I think that's universal, that's relatable and that, you know, should be told. So I'm, I'm proud that I did it, but it was, it was definitely a journey. For sure, I'd imagine. And, and, you know, a lot of this podcast is not just as much fatherhood, but it's also about, you know, the creative process as well. So I'm just curious. So you mentioned you got up every day at 6.02 to write. Is that is that your process? Is, it, is that the first thing in the morning to get up and, and the first thing to do uh, is write? I didn't just write in the morning. So I, I like mornings and nights, actually. But I just think my process is discipline. You know, and I got had that from being an athlete. You know, when I was playing basketball at Stanford and then professionally, like, you know, you just have to do these things. You get up early, you take care of your business. And so, and I remember saying to my wife, if I'm going to do this, I need to approach it like I did my basketball career. And so set the alarm, got up because it's really just taking a step every day. You just have to work every day, you know? And so for me, it's like building that structure around it. And when I was done with that first draft, my wife was told me how proud of me she was, which I appreciated, but I told her all I really did was have the discipline to get up every morning, you know, because if you do that for eight months, like, you're going to have a product there. And so um, I like to be disciplined and regimented and just make sure that every day you're, you're kind of moving the ball forward. And how much of your creative process might have shifted once you became a dad? Because you know, even if you have a certain <laughs> schedule routine, all of a sudden you have a kid and your kid says, hey, daddy, you have a routine. That's funny because now you, you base yeah. it around me. I was going to say, what creative process after you have kids? Like, it's just like whatever, uh, everything changes, you know, everything changes. But I, you have to be adaptable in life. And, and certainly as a father, as a parent, like that's the, the number one thing is being flexible, being adaptable. And so uh, I would still try to like evaluate our schedule, look at our time. I do think that I shifted more towards nights now, especially once he started sleeping. I'm like, okay, from like nine to 10.30, I can get some work done, you know, and find pockets here and there. So everything changed, you know, when, when we had our son. I will say it was kind of good timing because I was already done with like that, that draft. So I had done that really, really heavy lifting. So it was more just like a continuous cycle of editing, iterating. Uh, maybe that's why it took five years because <laughs> I had a kid and, and all these things, you know, it, it, it takes time. For me, like weekends, I used to like to, you know, write or do work on weekends. And then weekends right. now you're spending time with your kids. It's kind of, you know, you have to learn to be uh, adaptive, you know, adaptable and flexible, which, which you said. And I mean, yeah. that's what parenting is in a nutshell. That's right. hundred percent. But you, you figure it out though. I remember when my son was very little and we're still like up with him at night and he'd be sleeping on my chest and I'd have my computer on my lap with one hand, you know, just editing, moving things around. And, you know, you find an hour there, you find an hour here, you, you make it work. Does he know that daddy wrote a book? I mean, he's only three, but like, do you even try to explain that to him or it's not even worth entertaining? It's not that it's not worth entertaining. We just, he has no idea. Uh, he's actually, he's seen my book cover, you know, cause it's like, he, we have the book at home, people send things. So, and there's a basketball on it, you know? And so he'll, he'll point to it and he'll say basketball. And so like, he knows like the image of it, but uh, he's, he's more interested in, you know, like Pete, the cat, Dr. Seuss, bear snores on. <laughs> Those are kind of, you know, it, that, that's where his focus lies on the book side. Do you envision, I guess, have you thought about what it's going to be like the first time you take him to a basketball court or have you taken him to a basketball court? I mean, how much of the basketball legacy do you expect to be somewhat passed down to him? So I, I have no expectations, which I think is healthy as a parent is not, you know, is to let your kids kind of have their space. But I mean, he'll he'll know the history. You know, now I have my book here, right? Like, it's all in here. 
you know, so he'll, he'll know where he comes from. He'll know what basketball did for our family. He already knows that Papa loves basketball. Dad, dad loves basketball. Um, so, but uh, you know, I'm not going to force on him or his brother, or anything like that. But I do like that being said, there was a little text basketball hoop in the living room. There are balls all over the house. Like if he care, if he care to engage in that activity, no one will stop him. But, uh, right. you know, we, and listen, like he, he likes, he, he's gone through phases where he's really liked it. And like, he likes talking about it. And that's really fun, you know, because I think he can sense that I enjoy it and my dad enjoys it. So I think that's how kids are. Uh, we go to courts. He likes, I pick him up. He likes to dunk it through the hoop. Like, you know, he, he enjoys it, but he also likes soccer and baseball and, we just want him to find, you know, whatever he likes, sports or not, whatever his interests are. And I'm sure every night when he goes to sleep, you whisper in his ear, play basketball, play basketball. <laughs> I just say, yeah, you know, a little bit. I don't actually whisper it. I shout it. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's actually tattooed on his head. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, no, yeah, that, that's great. And I'm sure, he, you know, kids can sense those type of things. Like what activity makes, you know, daddy happy. Oh, okay. Right. I want, you know, to do that and get that, you know, be, be part of that. So yeah, I think that, that, that totally makes, uh, that makes sense. And I guess how exciting is that for you though, to know down the line at some point, he can read this book that, you know, that it exists. Cause I know from, from my standpoint of this documentary, yeah. you know, my, my, you know, my kids are probably, you know, five, six, seven, eight years away from ever watching it. But the idea that it exists that I know, right. and I've, and my cousins have said it to me too. Like we are so thankful that this exists because now our kids watch that. So like, how meaningful is that to you? Where obviously your, your family legacy will be passed on no matter what through, through all you, but the fact that there's also now a tangible, you know, something that he can, yeah. he could refer to. How special is that? It's the biggest thing. And I want to tell you, I'm also thankful that your story exists because to, to share these stories are so important. And, you know, we come from a similar background. We have grandparents who survive. Like my grandma always says, if we don't share this history, no one will. And it could happen again. And not just to Jewish people, to any people, you know, so you, what I did, what you did, just transmitting this history is really important. I think generally, you know, to spread the word about some really important things like locally for us and our family, nothing's more meaningful. You know, I mean, to be able to, in whatever the time is right, at bar mitzvah age, whatever it is for my book, and to hand it to my kids and say, here's 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 where we come from. You know, here's what your grandparents went through, uh, you know, your great grandparents, your, your, your dad. And so I think it's just an amazing gift. And my grandma always talks about her family who was killed in the Holocaust, says no one knows they existed. They don't have graves to visit. They just kind of were sent to Auschwitz and never heard from again. But their memories, their stories live forever now because you know they're told in the book, right? And so that in and of itself is the most meaningful thing. Some of the the just harrowing, you know, details of, of the stories that, that she tells that she went through or that she heard, I guess, you know, secondhand through people who might have, you know, been there with a, a brother or one of her parents. Yeah, I mean, just really re- remarkable stuff for her to be so strong and, and to, to live through and to, you know, eventually make make their way to the U.S. and what your father was able to basically build through basketball. Uh, I think one of my favorite stories, though, ha- has to be how they got the U.S. money to yeah. uh, to Brooklyn, uh, I think that, that that story is. I mean, that was just one of those where you're you're like, I didn't expect to go in this direction, but this is incredible. Isn't that isn't that crazy? I mean, I grew up hearing these stories and these tales, and and once I started patching them all together, that's my my reaction. I was like, wow, like you know, like it just sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And uh, very briefly, hopefully, people will pick up the book and you can you can learn a little bit more about this, but. You know, my, after surviving the Holocaust, my family lived under communism in Romania, which was also you know, very brutal, very hard life. They fled as refugees. 
they weren't allowed to bring anything of value out of the country, as you know, and money in particular, they weren't even allowed to have money. They, my grandfather transacted illegally on the black market to acquire money, which you had to do, otherwise you couldn't live. And my grandparents were survivors, right? They had chutzpah, they're like, we need to take our money out. And they had Romanian money and American money. And you know, they got every dollar of American money and Romanian money out of the country. The Romanian money, my grandfather hatched a plan to kind of smuggle it out on a train in a very interesting way. And the story that you're referring to with the American dollars, which is more interesting, where one of the biggest American comedians and celebrities improbably smuggled their money out for them. So pick up the book and read that story. But yeah, that's, I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, at that point, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just say it was, you know, it's Buddy Hackett. But yeah, I mean, right. at, at that, at that point in the book, I'm going to myself, wait, let me reread what like how how is it like because you know even the Romanian money story was really interesting and then somehow it's like and then like let's even double down and yeah. how the U.S. money got out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Buddy Hackett, and, and as you know, there's a really nice bow tie on that story because my grandparents yeah. met him all those years later once they made good in America. My dad was a big basketball star, so it came full circle in such an interesting way. But honestly, Buddy Hackett for what he did, he, he'll always be like a symbol for me about treating people the right way, acts of kindness because. He didn't have to do what he did, but you know that his legacy in my family lives on not only for the money that he helped, that my grandparents worked hard to save up, that he helped them keep, but just also for that example of how you treat people. For sure, and that's why uh, maybe you know who knows maybe Buddy Grunfeld could be uh, you know your next your next son maybe I like maybe that. You throw Buddy in there. <laughs> It's on the list, yeah, buddy. I like that. That's a good one. You know, as as a as a as a Syracuse guy, you know, Buddy Beheim's, you know, he's got a cool name. Uh, you know, I went to I went to Cuse, so uh, and there I actually didn't, I didn't know that that your dad was between Cuse was was his second option. I I, I never knew that. Neither did I until I did the research for the book. Uh, by the way, my wife got her master's degree at the Newhouse School at Syracuse. My sister in law went to Syracuse, so uh, oh, I didn't we, I didn't realize that. I, I went to I went to Newhouse also. I didn't realize that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I was actually you know for the book I went to training camp with the Knicks. And that was when my wife was in grad school. And so she would, you know, from Syracuse to the garden and we would, you know, there was visits there, but a great, uh, yeah, great place of, yeah. So I didn't know either because, you know, my dad just went to Tennessee and he was this legendary player there, but doing the research for the book, I really wanted to understand like, you know, where did you take your official visits? What were your final two? And yeah, it, it came down to Syracuse and Tennessee. And I actually saw Jim Bayheim a few years ago and, and I, I didn't, I had not met him, but I introduced myself and said, coach, you know, great to meet you, Dan Grunfeld, Ernie's son. And he didn't even say the first thing he says, 30 years ago, your dad, like he just went right into the story. So uh, <laughs> I guess there's maybe still a little bit of wounds there, but uh, yeah, it, it all worked out for everyone. Was there uh, any other, you know, stories uh, or things just about your dad that you learned in research that you had no idea? There were, there were a lot of things around so his coming to america as an immigrant not speaking english like i knew and of course his brother passed away as you mentioned which is probably the biggest tragedy in the history of my family and i'm named after my uncle we're talking about what we name our kids and you know so i'm named after my uncle which is a powerful thing and something i take very you know take a lot of responsibility for that really understanding what his experience was like in america how he was being made fun of because i knew he was teased and it was hard for him but he told me what you know what kids did what kids said how that kind of motivated him once he became a basketball player and a very good one, you know, and, you know, I think he kind of unleashed some of that on his opponents. And so there was that aspect of it. There were also just like details that were really interesting, funny. I'll tell you, and this isn't even in the book. This is something I, I learned and, and it didn't make it in the book, but 
you know, my dad was this incredible high school basketball player out of nowhere. And, you know, my grandparents never saw him play basketball until he was a junior in high school. Then all of a sudden he's an All-American. He's one of the highest recruited players in the country. He goes to Tennessee and he was telling me, like, I got to Tennessee and I didn't really know how it was going to go. I knew I was good in high school, but he didn't, you know, it was a different day and age. He, he wasn't even thinking about the NBA. He just was wondering how it would go. And he said, you know, I remember at halftime of my first college game sitting in the locker room and like someone had a statute or something and he, and it was Ernie Grunfeld, nine points. And he was like, I remember thinking, wow, I have nine points in the first half. So if I have nine in the second half, I'll have 18 points at my first game as a freshman. Like maybe there's something here. And then he said to me, how many did you, do you think I had in the second half? And I thought it was going to be like zero or two. You know, I don't know what two. He goes, no, I had 19 in the second half. So I had 28. And then I said, wow, this really could go well. You know? And I just thought that was so funny because he was the all-time leading scorer in the history of the school. And he was, you know, to this day, he's the fifth leading scorer in the history of the SEC. So he kind of didn't know what to expect. But very quickly, he was like, yeah, this could work out well for me. No, it's, it's, it's incredible considering it's not like he was playing basketball since the age of two, he, you know, th- that he learned what? He first played basketball at what age? Nine or, nine or ten. So he came to America at nine, had never touched a basketball. Then, you know, his brother passed, so there was that, you know, very difficult thing. So, you know, around, you know, nine, ten years old, he just touched the ball for the first time, right? And so he, it just, it just clicked. It just clicked. And I think, honestly, you know, the game is so powerful that, you know, because his background is hard, you know, being born in the shadows of the Holocaust, his brother passing away, it just gave him something to believe in, you know, so, so all that, you know, there's pain and there's hurt there, but it was all channeled through the game. And I think he soared so high so quickly, probably because of a lot of that. And as you know, he won a gold medal for the United States, roughly 10 years after coming to America. That's why it's, it's really an American dream story. Oh, for sure. That's 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 the American dream, and I, I would imagine it must be so rewarding and special for you and your family, given that you know your father comes to the country at nine, doesn't speak a lick of English. He's put into lower grade classes because he you know <laughs> he just can't keep up. He doesn't he doesn't speak the language, and then for his son years later to write a book, you know, in English, just you know to <laughs> just to show you how far from a, a literary standpoint your family has come is is incredible. Thank you, man. And- and, you know, my dad, you know, when he came to America, yeah, he was, and I write in the book, he was a third grader and he was as big as a fifth grader, but because he didn't speak the language, he was in class with the first grader. So it was like, he should be teaching the class. I mean, he's like, he's as big as an adult with these little kids. And he got denied admission to a yeshiva because he didn't speak English. But his first job after he retired from as an NBA player was to broadcast Nick games on the radio in New York City. You know, so that even of, in and of itself shows that journey. He, he wouldn't even, he wasn't admitted into school because he didn't speak the language. But then here he is, a basketball hero in New York, announcing games. And certainly I had the opportunity to go to Stanford and to write, write a book about my family. And, you know, I grew up, as you know, like so much different. And that's what parents and grandparents want. They want their kids and grandkids to have more resources, more opportunities. And so I'm so grateful for that. Do you feel like there's some pressure on you in terms of trying to be what, you know, do for your kids, what your dad did to you or, you know, how close of a relationship you guys will have. It's interesting. I don't feel the pressure. Oh, I didn't before you said that, but now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, Oh wow. Now I have to consider that. Cause yeah, like I, I just feel the love. Right. And, and you love your kids so much. And so it's, it's all done with love. And so I don't consider that he's not going to love me as I love my dad. If he, if they don't, that'd be a, a huge bummer for so many reasons, but I, uh, I, I don't approach, I haven't approached it that way. I just want to support them, love them, be them, be there for them. And those relationships will grow and blossom. And I, I hope of course, 
that we have the same type of relationship that I have with my dad. And I'm going to do everything in my power to, to try to, you know, make that happen. And I'm sure uh, an approach will be trying to keep, you know, keep your kids humble. I mean, they are growing up now with a father who's an author, a, you know, a grandfather who was a, a pro player. You know, how do you, you know, what is your thought process to try and just keep everything, you know, you know, maintained for them? I think my dad is the best example of that. My dad is the most down to earth. Talk about like true humility. My dad really has it. And you even see that in the book, you know, and he just, yeah, he, he's concerned with what kind of person you are, how you treat people. So those are our values. I try to be the same way because all this other stuff comes and goes, right? Like and my dad always said that success on the basketball court, that's fleeting. He was an NBA executive for 30 years. That's fleeting. But what stays forever is who you are. You know, and I just think those are the values, you know, and yeah, it's great to be a good basketball player. It's great to write a book that does well, but that's all just your life situation. It's not your life, right? Your life is, is who you are, how you treat people. And so that, that's, those are the values I was raised with. And that's how I'm going to raise my kids. Is the plan to write another book? Or have you thought about that? I mean, I guess what's, what's next for you in terms of, obviously you've had a interesting career, mostly playing basketball. Your, your dream was to go to the NBA and then you were ultimately in Europe for most of the time. And now, you know, it sounds like, you, I think you said, you mentioned you got your, your MBA. Is that, is that what you That's right. Yeah. I went back MBA, to Stanford to get my MBA. Wrote a book. So is the goal to stay in the, the I guess for basketball in the lane of, of being an author or where do you see yourself kind of, uh, you know, pivoting to? Yeah. So, you know, my, I work at a venture capital firm. I am growing my career. I really love it. So I want to continue to, to progress there. Writing is a passion of mine, something I love to do. I take very seriously. There'll never be another book like this, you know, and you read it like, this is my soul on a page. You know, this is, this is our story. This is who we are, who I am. And so there'll never be another one quite like this, but I would love to, to write more, to tell more stories, having conversations now about telling this story in other formats, which is really exciting. And you know, cause you did it, you know, just, just transmitting a history like this, it has to be from the heart. You know, it's, this is not a commercial endeavor. It's about caring so much about a story and people and history to tell it. And that's where I am with, with this story. So want to get it out there in more ways. Want to, you know, hopefully people will engage with this book more, but then yeah, d down the road, would love to tell another important story. And I, and I just want to make sure I mention, because uh, you, you mentioned them in the book, Hayas, the Hebrew Immigrant yes. Aid Society, also played a large role in my family's story uh, and are mentioned several times throughout uh, my documentary. So, yeah, I just wanted to give a quick little plug. I don't know how, how much you've stayed in touch with them or asked them questions for the book, but, yeah, it's a fantastic organization. And uh, when I saw uh, that they played a role uh, for your family as well, I, I was happy to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up hearing about them because they – were so helpful, you know, my family, you know, after surviving the Holocaust, like I mentioned, being under communism in Romania was, was a very hard and tough way to live. Right. And so I know that for, for us to come in and, and be so helpful in certain ways, I just always grew up hearing about them. So uh, very cool that, that you talk about them as well. And that they're part of your family story. Yeah, no, just, uh, I, I think about some of the positioning moves they were able to make and help people from across the, uh, you know, across the world with no technology that we have today, how somehow they were able to get people from place A to B and get them food here and there. I, I still haven't necessarily been able to, and they can't even give me all the answers of how they did it. Somehow they just did it. Uh, and you know, like I saw the exact same thing where, you know, they met my family in Serbia as they fled Romania on a stopover to Rome and brought them a meal. And yeah, you're thinking like, 
what were the logistics there? Like, where you're just like, just meet us at this train station at this time and we'll figure it out. Like, it, it's remarkable. But I guess the, the power of the human spirit when you want to help people, you know, you, you can figure things out. So yeah, we're always be grateful to them. Can I ask you a question? You've asked me a lot of questions. Yeah. So, you know, my book is called By the Grace of the Game and I know why, why it's called that. Tell me about the starfish. Yeah, no, so the starfish, so uh, it, part of the, the film uh, itself is it's pivot, it's basically bookended around a story my grandfather tells. And I don't know if you know uh, the story about the starfish, about a boy walking along the beach, a man picks up a starfish, he throws it in, the beach is covered in starfish, and the boy says, you know, why are you picking up all these starfish? You'll never be able to throw them all back in. And he picks up another one, he throws it in, and he says to that one, I made a difference. And, you know, it's, it, right. it's, a, it's, it's a story that, you know, it's a parable that's been told uh, for years, and it's something that my grandfather had seen in a newspaper and he took the clipping of it and when my grandfather years later went back to Sweden to reconnect with the families who had taken who had basically saved his life 60 years earlier who he had lost touch with was able to track him down went back there he told that story uh you know at a big dinner he told that story and that happens to be the same story that my summer camp every year we would tell that story at camp too because it's just a great story about yeah. making a difference to every camper. And so it was a story that I grew up with my whole life. And then I'm watching this footage of my grandfather in Sweden telling this story as a symbol for his life. And that's why I came up with you know the starfish as the name because it's the idea Amazing. that you can't, you can't save everybody and and you know and i look at you know a lot of with with your your, your book as well like raul wallenberg yeah to me he's a perfect example uh and and for those who, who haven't uh you know read the book you know he was a, what a swedish diplomat who essentially yeah. was in hungary trying to save jewish lives correct yeah and he saved credit for saving roughly a hundred thousand so that that's you know and listen great analogy because couldn't save everyone but he he saved a lot and he made a difference to a lot of people and i wouldn't be here right now without him right so that just shows no, and exactly. It's, it's, it's the idea of, you know, the starfish is like, if you can make a difference, you can't save the world, but you can make a world's difference to one person. That's and right. also just the ripple effect of that as well. You know, you saved one starfish and that ripple effect of think about how many generations go on, how many people go on and you know, the things that they do or, you know, the opportunities that your father, you know, provided for other people when he was the GM of the Knicks, you know, just so right. many people are impacted by, you know, that one deed. You don't think about generations later, just uh, that impact. So yeah, that's, that's how I came up with the name of the starfish. Amazing. I can't, I you've read my book. I can't wait to watch your movie. Um, it's so cool. What would be your, your your one takeaway you want people to take away from the book? What if they had to take something away, some sort of theme or message? What is that? Yeah, listen. There's a lot of darkness in my family story, but there's a much there's much more light. And so I always got a tremendous amount of inspiration from knowing what my grandparents went through and overcame, what my dad went through and overcame. So the the one thing I'd want people to take from this book is a feeling of hope and inspiration. Cause that's what I've always felt from this story. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think you do. I really do. I do think that you, you do get that takeaway from it that at the end of the day, you know, people persevered and were able to go on to do great things. So I, I really enjoyed the book, but before I let you go though, we got to do some rapid father questions. This wouldn't be, Please. this wouldn't be a father podcast without some rapid fire father questions. Love it. So what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of a good night's sleep? <laughs> The past. Changing diapers. Love it. Okay, interesting. <laughs> oh, man. If I may, I know we're doing rapid fire, but I think changing diapers has a bad rep, you know, because like it's not the most pleasant thing, but like there's someone gave me a great piece of advice when, when my son was first born. They were like, dude, if I could, it's a, another dad, a dad friend, he said, if I could just give you one piece of advice, change every diaper. 
change every diaper. And I, and I tried to do that. And like, there's something just the caretaking of it. Uh, yeah, there's something that I think is really special about doing that with your kid. Not that it's like the most pleasant thing in the world, but I do love it. You know, listen, next time my daughter has a dirty diaper, I'll give you a call. I just had a little change in your kids' diapers. <laughs> this is my son, you know? Honestly, that's a big part of it. Like, yeah, the, the thought of trading another person's kid's diaper is not so appealing, but my kids, I, I do love it. Well, listen, you know, lucky for you, you have you have another uh, one on the way in April where you could have another <laughs> about two You got at least another two years of changing I'll diapers. Be, I'll be eating my words on that one. Yeah, for sure. So back to the rapid father. Let's do it. Pediatrician appointments. Busy. Children's books. The best. Participation trophies. <laughs> Whatever. So my next question, I already know your answer is going to be. I was gonna, The question is, would you rather change diapers or assemble toys? But I think I know your answer. But you don't know. You don't. You know the right answer, but you don't know like the spread there. Because not only do I like, I want to change diapers for my kids. I cannot put together anything. Like I, I like the work. Like my brain just doesn't work that way. My wife will assemble things. I will like hand her tools and lay out the paper. So like, it couldn't be a bigger spread between those two activities. I am fully with you. I mean, I don't have a passion for changing diapers like you do, but uh, I definitely uh, am the worst at assembling toys. And I would, I would go head to head with you, and we could take six hours to try to assemble like one high chair. No joke. Like I, I, I like my chances. Like I, there's such a level of ineptitude there on my end that like let's do it sometime. <laughs> do you uh, do you uh, part of your diaper changing routine? I have to imagine since you like it, are you always constantly shooting it? Are we getting like Kobe as you're like shooting diapers into the pail? So we do have we have a diaper genie, which is great, but you kind of have to like put it in there. But at my in-laws' house, there is like a garbage, and so yes, we do shoot it. And actually, have my my son enjoys you know doing doing a little bit of two points with it. Uh, just to clarify, I don't think it's fair to say I have a passion for it. I, just want, <laughs> I, I said I, I, I enjoy the ritual of it. It's not like, you know, I'm not saying I have a passion for it, but I, I, I will stand by that I do enjoy doing it for my kids. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the mess head. Uh, it doesn't have to be in the back of the book. Right, exactly. Lo- loves changing diapers. Great, right, great, exactly. great author. Passion for changing diapers. Right. Are you, most pickup basketball games, are you the best dad on the court? I don't know if I'm the best player. I'm an effective player. Uh, I'm also, I'm definitely the one who wants to get hurt the least and wants to just like have a good time the most. So I don't, you know, I don't, I try not to have anything to prove, uh, you know, cause as an athlete, there's a light switch there that can always get turned on. So I always want to protect that, you know, cause I don't, and you read from the book, like that competitiveness, that drive, like I don't need to open up that can of worms anymore, but uh, listen, when I play pickup, I'll have my moments and, and, and don't get me wrong. It feels good. I'm sure it does. I, I I wouldn't know, but speaking of feeling good, do you think your kids will ever have the moment of dunking a basketball? If you had to guess, will your kids ever dunk a basketball? Something that I will never do, uh, or at least not on a regulation size hoop. Will your kids ever dunk a basketball? I'll say yes. The, because, you know, I, listen, I'm six foot six. My wife is five one. So we, we wow, don't- Wow, I didn't know like, that. You don't, mention, you don't mention that in the book, how much of a disparity that is. <laughs> I don't mention Sam's size. She's a giant in every other way, believe me. Uh, so we don't know exactly where the height will shake out. You know, so if if my kids are my height, they'll dunk. If they're not, you know, it might be a little harder. But uh, 
I'm just going with yes. And maybe they'll have jumping ability that I never had too. You have to factor that in as like a, an unknown variable. What type of parent will you be watching your kids play sports? Are you going to be the coach, the one who's literally coaching them, the cheerleader from the sidelines, the guy who's yelling at the ref, or the one who silently evaluates and doesn't talk to the car ride home? I probably won't be the one yelling and screaming at the game. Uh, I want to support my kids, help guide them, listen, you know, prov provide my experiences, help in the ways I can. But I, I won't be the one on my feet yelling at refs or yelling, certainly not yelling at my kids or anything like that. But I'd love, I want to be a source of support in the ways that are helpful for them. That's what my dad was for me. Do you consider yourself to be a funny guy or a dad funny guy? Could I say both? You could. <laughs> uh, I, I consider myself to be a funny guy. And you read the book and you know that I like to laugh. I like to make jokes. There are certainly stories in the book that I'm sure you laughed at. Uh, and actually, I learned that from my grandmother, honestly, because life is joy and pain and tragedy and triumph. And my grandma's the first one to tell a joke and to have a good hearty laugh. And so laughter is so important. Uh, love to be, love people to make me laugh and love to make other people laugh. So I think, I think I'm a funny guy. How would you define dad funny? Well, that's why I said both, because like making corny jokes that are like funny, but people are like, uh, it's like a little bit, it's not like the freshest take you've ever heard. It's a you know, maybe it's a little bit corny and I definitely do that. And I enjoy doing that. Like it's fun to make like a good dad joke, a good pun here and there. Um, so that's how I would define that. And I'm guilty for sure. What is, what is your biggest dadism? What is something you do that maybe Sam's like, oh, wow, you are such a dad. <laughs> like, but, I don't do it anymore, but uh, I used to have a BlackBerry that I clipped to my waistband. <laughs> this is years ago. Yeah, yeah, that that was one that was kind of like, man. And I honestly, like, I it was many years ago, so I was probably like thirty, you know. And uh, so I was, this was pre dad. This was a this pre dad dadism. This is pre dad dadism, and you know, it was yeah, it was a it was aging myself even a, li a little bit more than I than I was. So what do you want your family's legacy to be? I guess, what what do you want to instill most, uh, you know, in your kids? Treating people the right way, standing up for who you are and standing up for other people and being a good person. And I was like, th this is the legacy. You know, the story is in here. This is the book. Uh, this is you know, where we come from and who we are. So I just think it's life is about your relationships and how you treat other people and, and who you really are as a person. And through to our prior conversation, accolades and achievements that's all fine and good and nice and we strive for those things but that's not what life is about life is about your relationships and the people you love and the people that love you dan grunfeld's definition of a good father is a dad who sh loves supports and cares for his children works for me listen i appreciate your time uh, like i said again the book is, is fantastic. By the grace of the game, the Holocaust, the basketball legacy, and an unprecedented American dream, I have it right here as well. And Looking I good. finished it, and my father will be receiving it tomorrow, so he could start it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pass the, the rock to him, I guess. Uh, we'll keep Do basketball it. analogies. Because yeah. Yeah, it, was, it, it was a great read, and, and as I said, uh, I will continue to, to, to share it with, with people to read it. And I do think uh, you know, schools should be, should be reading it as well. It's, uh, it's, just a, yeah, it's very well done, and I appreciate you sharing your family story you got it man this is an awesome conversation i appreciate you doing what you've done as well and uh yeah man thank you 
Thanks again to Dan for taking the time to chat. And more importantly, thanks for writing the book. I really encourage anyone listening to grab a copy, give it a read. It's, it's really inspiring and an important story. So I'm so glad that he both wrote the book and that he came out to chat about it. It's available on Amazon. So make sure to add it to your cart and share with your family as well. I'm going to go see my kids and uh, maybe I'll change some diapers and see if I can enjoy it a little bit more this time with uh, some of Dan's inspiration. I'm Tyler Gilden, and this is Father Material. Tell you about my daddy. I love my daddy. <laughs> I love you too, buddy.